Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Timothy Miller. We are coming at you live from Debate Week. Can you can you feel the excitement? I feel like we're at the beginning of a long forced march. That's about the level like of a tan march. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, something like that, yeah. Some terrible march where you're being forced to to go through the desert with a bunch of people you don't like, and uh, not not you. I mean, our Republican candidates and like that weird guy with the face. Are we gonna have to see him? Thank God he didn't make the debate stage. Perry Perry, Perry Johnson. Johnson. Oh. Are you sad that your friend Will Hurd didn't make the debate stage? You've just been one of the biggest advocates of the Will Hurd campaign. I was gonna ask you guys about that. Does Will Hurd stay in? And if Will Hurd does stay in, does that mean he's not as serious as we all I thought? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe lightning will strike in a bottle in the fall. He'll stay in for a little bit. Okay. Uh, he He's not going to Iowa, right? He's not going to make it to Iowa. It depends on how much cash he has. This is the thing, JVL. You do this Iowa stuff, and you're like, DeSantis is going to drop out. Like, it's it's a money game. People who have money are going to go all the way. True. I, I don't know that DeSantis is going to have them. We'll see. We'll see how DeSantis does after the debate. So let's let's set the stage and I will let you guys just go. First of all, I assume the debate is going to take place. I'm sure you guys have noted that Larry Elder has filed a lawsuit to prevent the debate from taking place because he says it has all been rigged and unfair, I guess, in violation of some sacred debate law. Somewhere in Wisconsin. Does Wisconsin have debate law? I'm not sure. Uh, Who knows, though? Larry could get a friendly judge. You know, probably now that Janet Protasiewicz is in there in Wisconsin, though, probably probably not. Probably won't, won't get as fair of a hearing. Maybe he could send <laughs> Sheriff Clark out there to to shut that whole debate down and just say, we're going to shut this all down until we figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, okay, so they're going up on stage on Wednesday night. It's going to be eight. We had an eight pack. Scott, DeSantis, Haley, Vivek, Christy, Pence, Burgum, and Asa. Asa snuck in under the wire. Good for you, buddy. Uh, Sarah, tell me, what do we, what, what are the stakes? Are the stakes high? Are the stakes low? Who has, who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose? Just, I want to hear all of your thoughts. Please download your brain for us. The stakes are high for four people. Four, this many. Four. Uh, they're the most high for Ron DeSantis. Wow. Okay, hold on. I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, most high for Ron DeSantis because JBL's like we're entering the last two weeks of the DeSantis campaign comes sort of true if this debate is just horrible for him. Like not 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 you're 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 overreaching on that he won't make it to Iowa, but you are correct in that he either revives himself with this or he dies after this. Like if I mean I guess he could maybe like comport himself modestly and stay the same, but it's kind of make or break for him. Highest stakes for him. Sarah, is he going to have to use his voice at this debate or could he have a surrogate stand on who he would like Cyrano de Bergerac, where he could tell, maybe he could get James Earl Jones or somebody like that. And he could say the words and James Earl Jones would say would in his ear and James Earl Jones, oh, no, no, Morgan Freeman goes to die. It is possible that we will get nothing from DeSantis but the horrifying sound of his teeth grinding as he listens. <laughs> you know, just like the, the, the nails on the chalkboard of his teeth grinding as he as all the other candidates attack him. Um, okay, but hold on. So stake, stakes two, highest for uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. And here's why. We got a lot of Vivek Q 
curious people who are also DeSantis people. And so this is his moment. He either takes from DeSantis and becomes kind of the number two guy and has a big breakout moment, or all the Vivek curious people get a real good look at him and go, eh, actually, forget that. That was like a mild flirtation and I'm over it. Third, Tim Scott, who I think absolutely does not have a uh, majority pitch for Republican voters, but has a bit of a minority pitch. Again, he's the one most likely to take over, I think, from DeSantis, if it's not Vivek, for like a solid 13%. Like, Tim Scott's due for a, I am now moving into third slash maybe second eventually and like have a play in Iowa. Uh, I don't know that I think Tim Scott's got a national big picture play, but he's sort of as a play in Iowa. It's a medium stake. It's a medium rare stake for Tim Scott. I mean, the stakes can't be that high if he can't win. The stakes are medium. No? High? Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, he's like the last bastion hope for the donor class and the normie Republican class. And so, like, to the extent that there's yeah. a revenge of the normies that could play for a while, I think Tim Scott is it. So the stakes are high for the rich guys funding Tim Scott's campaign. The stakes are high for them. Question for you here, Sarah. Could Tim Scott do well at the debate by not getting involved in all this stuff? Like, could he just, like, step... Because nobody's going to attack Tim Scott. That would be a bad look. If I could just say for some of my, my white Republican candidate friends... Could he just sort of like stay doing his Mr. Positive, you know, jazz hands thing and let Vivek and Ron D go after each other? Here's the thing. I think he can to get himself a gentlemanly 15 percent nationally. This is where I think that he could start taking from Pence. And this just brings me to my fourth person, which is Nikki Haley, because Nikki Haley uh, is was a great hope for many people. She's been living in the three percent. And either Nikki Haley's going to pop or she's not. For a bunch of them, right, who've been languishing and want to be the successor, those are the people that I think, have, like, Pence does not have a chance to do it. Asa does not have a chance to do it. I guess I could make a case for Chris Christie, who's doing, having, like, just a thing in New Hampshire, very, very located in New Hampshire, he could be. But he's just every, he's just up there to, like, go kamikaze on people. He's just, like, a living human napalm situation. So I don't know that I think there's stakes for Christie. I think he might come out of it with a lot of conversation, but I don't know about stakes. I think the other four have stakes. Does Nikki have to go after Scott? I feel like that's kind of her play. She has to go after DeSantis and Scott and try to no, no. You DeSantis. people, uh, were you all were you all awake in during the 2012 and 2016 campaigns? The people that got bumps afterwards were not the Mr. Nice Guys. They were not the people that went after the other people on stage. They're the people that did the best at performative lib owning. When when Newt Gingrich shouted at the moderators oh. and and put and gave them the what for. That's when he that's when he went up and skyrocketed up. Um, that was 2012, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess was yeah. there an exception? Ben Carson did kind of have a little moment. Maybe that's the best Tim Scott analogy, not race-based, but I don't I don't remember him yelling at anybody. He was always a pretty calm setting. So maybe that's the best argument for that. And Herman Cain, same thing, right? Uh, not exactly. Uh, Herman Cain's situation was a little bit different. <laughs> um, but generally, the people that, that had positive momentum coming out of debates, there was a big political art- article on this this week, in, in Republican debates were people that had big moments demonstrating, oh, I can take out Obama, oh, I can take out the media, oh, I can take out Biden, 
you know, the Democratic debates were more, you know, Liz Warren had the big debate when she took out Mike Bloomberg. Right? That was more of a cross-stage thing. I, I just don't, I don't see, like, like, Nikki and Tim Scott getting into a little slap fight, I, I don't know that that really helps either of them. You know, calling somebody out on the stage for getting cucked, that might help. Um, that might that might go over. So I don't know. I, I don't. I, I disagree with Sarah. I, I think that there there's no stakes for Tim Scott and Nikki Haley because I, I don't understand what's happening in their campaign. They're not running for president. So I, if if someone told me what they were do what their objective was, maybe I would say that there were stakes. But I have to understand the objective of their campaign. I don't understand the objective of either of their campaigns. They're running for vice president. That's the Are they, they really want to be Donald Trump's vice president? Nikki, Tim I don't Scott think Nikki Haley wants to I be. Think Tim, Tim Scott no, I, sure I, does. I think, I think Tim Nikki Scott Haley, sure does. So here's the thing. I think Nikki Haley wanted to be DeSantis's vice president. Yes. Sure. Sure. Okay, so I, so I don't know the point of her campaign, so I don't know what the stakes are. I, I guess, like, like I said, the rich people giving Tim Scott money, they have some stakes because uh, it's going to, you know, they're going to watch their money burn on, live on TV. That's not, not really that fun. Do they know that Tim Scott is running for VP? I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I don't know. I, like, isn't doesn't that undermine the whole point? Isn't the whole point of the rich donors who are normies who are funding Tim Scott? Don't they not like Donald Trump? Like, aren't they yeah. funding him ostensibly because they want somebody else besides Donald Trump? So why are they funding his effort to be Donald Trump's vice president and get hung? It's the craziest by damn the MAGA thing, isn't people. It? Really, I genuinely don't understand. No, they don't know. They don't know what's going on with voters. And they also don't know that Tim Scott will happily be Donald Trump's vice president the second he locks up the they nomination. They can't be that stupid. Capitalism can't be that inefficient. <laughs> I think capitalism can be that inefficient. I, I think that they're that stupid. I, I, but I, again, I don't know. So I don't, I don't think they have any stakes, really, meaningfully. And so I, I would have just made that list, too. I, I think Ron DeSantis and Vivek are the people for whom they have stakes. And I, I think... I, there's a decent chance that DeSantis goes after Vivek the fake or whatever that memo said and just gets mowed down. I, I, who else? I guess for Donald Trump, there may be some stakes, but I don't know what. Well, can I just let me push back on Tim a little bit? May I? Please. And the reason your point about what was a breakout moment in previous debates, I think neglects the fact that like that person, the person who owns the libs, the fiercest won't be in this debate. And so, like, we already have a front runner, a, an extremely dominant front runner. And the reason that I include Nikki and Tim Scott is that what we have is a jockeying for second or third. We have a jockeying for movement. We have a jockeying for any kind of dynamic shift that gives people a narrative that changes uh, from what it currently is, which is that it is Donald Trump in a two man race with Ron DeSantis. Now, Ron DeSantis is flailing. This debate matters. If he flails more, that means somebody else has an opportunity to make become the two-man person. And I don't really think Nikki Haley is exactly in that position. I think my stakes for Nikki Haley is that I think that a Will Hurd is like just wants people to know his name for future. I think that Nikki Haley could end up getting out uh, because she doesn't want it to be Donald Trump and she does want to be part of a consolidation, maybe around Tim Scott. I don't know that I think she attacks him. I could be wrong about that, that, but that would be my instinct. And so I think the stakes for her are, if she gets nothing out of this, I don't know that she's long for this race. It's a lot of time to hang out in Iowa for 3%. Can I offer an opinion you're not supposed to give on a political podcast where you're trying to engage the audience? Um, I, I think it's possible that this debate doesn't matter at all. 
like is literally completely meaningless. Ex- with the exception, I, I guess DeSantis Except on the margin. DeSantis' money. It matters for DeSantis' ability to continue raising money. So if DeSantis is really good or really bad, it kind of matters. But if yeah. DeSantis is not really good or really bad, I think this debate is completely meaningless. I went back and looked. I was the communications director for one of the candidates on the last time that we had a Republican debate without Trump. And that Iowa debate that he skipped when he pretended he was doing the veterans fundraiser and he was going to give the money to veterans that he never did. Good person that they nominated there. Uh, maybe that should have been a warning sign. I don't know. Who listens to us? But um I went back and I like read the articles about that debate because I was like, what happened at that debate? I don't remember. And then I, I it refresh. my memory. it was the one where Ted Cruz kind of starts off by saying, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid. OK, now that that's out of the way. We don't have to, t- to pretend like Donald Trump's here anymore. And like that was kind of was cheat, dorky, kind of funny. And that was literally the only thing I remembered. I went through every other highlight, I, like nothing else, even the Jeb parts. I was like, I guess I remember Jeb having a back and forth about with Marco, but the substance of it was kind of meaningless. It was boring. It was kind of boring without Trump there. And and I think it might be kind of boring uh, tonight. And um, so I, I think that's that's where I'm at. I think there's a chance it's completely meaningless. So let me push back on that, too. And, and here's why. That debate was, what, the third debate in a series of debates? No, even deeper. Even deeper. Like so, sixth, right. maybe. Okay, so there have yeah. been a ton of debates at this point, that point. Yeah. This debate is important in that stakes because it's the first one. Uh, it is going to set the tone for whatever the fall season, political season, is going to look like. Now, where I agree with you is, like, that tone might be none of these clowns are going to get within spitting distance of Trump because they're all pathetic. Like that may very well be, but we are going to learn a lot. I think about who people are, how they're setting up their strategies. You know, DeSantis has rebooted his reboot and and then rebooted that. And so, you know, if we're going to see something from DeSantis that is different, it would be in this debate. And we're also going to see Trump getting booked the day after the debate. And so another thing we'll know is that it's surrendering. Yeah, surrendering. Uh, like a cheese eating surrender monkey he is. Uh, it's, it's not a Simpsons reference for you, JBL? Uh, yes, he chuckled okay. soft. It was a soft chuckle. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, but here's the thing. So Trump surrenders, and does he own, does that own the news cycle, the post-debate news cycle? And if it does, we learn that too, right? There's literally nothing these guys can say or do that Trump won't overshadow with his legal troubles, which I think also, that would be my prediction that that's what happens, but that is... We're going to learn a lot, is my point. Here's the other thing, and, and I would love to be wrong about this, but I, I expect the first debate, you're right about that, that. There's something to be said for it's the first time we get to see everybody and test everybody. But conventional politicians, conventional consultants, you know, what is your what is your mindset going in there? It's a do no harm. Like, let's go in there. We're not going to go, you know, go crazy on Trump on debate one. They're going to be a lot of these. not a sprint. Ma- yeah, all that. And all of that logic is totally wrong. <laughs> but I could see everybody except Chris Christie thinking that that is the right play, you know, and maybe maybe I'll, I'll throw one little hit at Vivek or one, you know, I'll, I'll go after Biden. I'll go after Biden hard, but I'm not going to do anything when the reality is one of these guys needs to be Haymakerville, you know, and if I if I'm Ron DeSantis's comms director, I'm like, you need to go up there and your first question, your first answer needs to be, I just want to get this out of the way. I am not a puppet of those donors and that is the establishment that's given me money. And I I'm worship the governor Jesus of Christ, not some weird set of gods with six arms like some people, you know, and I, I like I would start immediately try to start like separating myself from from the narrative. But I just don't 
I, I don't I, I would be surprised if that happened. So let me let me posit this to you. My, my attempt at synthesizing your your viewpoints. Great. The extent to which this debate matters is at two different meta levels. The first being the money supply for Ron DeSantis, which matters because if it is turned off, it reshapes the rest of the field. And the second being the question of whether or not a if the first debate without Trump winds up being meaningless, then it means that Trump ain't going to go to any of them. And this right. starts looking more and more like a coronation. Fair? Fair. Look at that. Can yeah. I bring people together? It's already looking like one. Yeah. Two polls. Two polls I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about the Selzer poll. Before we get to Selzer, can I ask you guys one thing? Yeah. You know, because we've had a running Chris Christie disagreement mm. around around here. What do you think from Chris Christie? Because I kind of expect Chris Christie to go Tony Montana on everybody on that stage and actually demonstrate the point that I've been making from day one, which is it might feel nice to have him up there because he says some mean things about Donald Trump, but like towards the actual goal of helping somebody else become the nominee, maybe he's harming it. And I think that there's a decent chance that Chris Christie dominates the debate. He's a pure alpha. Meanwhile, he has a 28% favorable rating in the Iowa caucus poll, right? So Christie takes out DeSantis, makes him look like a bitch, takes out Vivek, makes him look like a fake, you know, maybe th even throws, uh, you know, some strays at Nikki Haley or Doug Burgum or something and, you know, come out of the debate and all the mainstream media types were like, Chris Christie! And Chris Christie's poll numbers go up to 20 in New Hampshire and Ron DeSantis's go down to nine or eight. And then it's like, Great. Chris Christie killed everybody else in the primary again, <laughs> again, <laughs> just like he just like he did to Marco last time. And even though we, we think it's nice to have him around, like actually three dimensionally chess, it might not be nice to have him there. My view is if that is the case and Chris Christie is able to do it, then it will not represent any sort of net uh, subtraction because it means that none of these guys could have done it on their own anyway. Right. I mean, I, I'm sorry if Ron DeSantis can't contend with Chris Christie, then he is never going to be able to contend with Donald Trump. True. Yeah. Let me just add to that. I think it's just like in the memo that we all saw from DeSantis. Right. The Chris Christie attacks that everybody knows are coming. Give DeSantis an opportunity for someone to fight with. Right. He needs a foil because DeSantis is all about grimacing and getting all wound up, too. So it is I think JBL's right. Like it's on DeSantis to handle himself in a way. And I think Christie gives him that opportunity. The other thing I would say for Chris Christie is it, it, to your point, I think you could be right. Cause it could go, he could light up everybody on the stage or he could do what he's done for much of his time in the press, which is he could spend most, he could turn every question into a let's shit on Trump. And then the real, what he pushes back on everybody else is why don't you guys do this? Are you running a race against him? You know, this is insane. We got to fight for this party. Like, I could actually see him presenting more of a challenge than uh, just, like, eviscerating them each for their own personal foibles. All right. Can we move on to the two polls? I want to do the short poll first and the Selzer poll second, because I want to spend some time on the Selzer poll. Sarah, the CBS poll that came out Sunday asking voters who they trust, Republican voters, who they trust most in their information and showing Trump far above, not media, 
but even conservative media, far above their religious leaders, far above their friends and family. Did that poll inform or is it at all intention or dialogue with the Republican Triangle of Doom? <laughs> because that's that's what I thought. When I thought I looked at that, I thought this this poll suggests more cult than Triangle of Doom. But maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really thought deeply about it, but I, I had wanted to talk with you about it. Uh, that's interesting. And whether you think it contradicts Triangle of Doom, I don't think it does. I only think that what it means is that you're talking to Republican primary voters and just asking them each one, right, each one of those things. And so a bunch of these people are like secular, not Christian, right? So like they're not saying they're pastor, but they still trust Trump. A bunch of them are saying, whatever, people like me, well, they don't trust all their friends on social media, but they trust Trump. Like, I guess I sort of thought that this what it captured more than anything is is actually something different entirely, which is how do you beat Trump? I often talk about the collective action problem as one of the things that allows Trump to maintain his hold. Uh, I would maybe say it's a little bit in tension with that slightly because even if a whole bunch of other people were saying Trump is bad, that would just be cause for them to dismiss those other people. Now, I also think as a counterfactual, everybody speaking out against Trump at once has never been tried. And so uh, we don't know whether or not that might make some actual difference. Tried uh, for 36 hours on January, the afternoon of January 6th until the morning right. of January 8th. That was Did it. You, um, that was our experiment. Do you have the, the poll in front of you? Do you have the CBS in front of you? I don't. I'll pull it up. You guys talk. Yeah, because the conservative media number was also pretty high. It was alarmingly high, given that, A, I'm not sure exactly what these people define as conservative media, but I think that I assume some of them, you know, are talking about Steve Bannon's War Room podcast and OAN and right side broadcasting news. And I some of them are probably just talking about Fox, but, but um, very high ratings. But Trump's ratings higher than the conservative media ratings. Uh, the, the thing about that poll, and, you know, we can do the cult joke, and it is a fucking cult, but the thing that it really just continues to parallel is that there's three quarters of the party that just likes him, is for him, yeah, is with him, right. is Trump, right? And so no matter how you ask the question, uh, you can come at it from a different bunch of different angles. Like, you're going to get 70 to 80% saying, you know, sign me up for the Trump stakes. I got it in front of me. The question is, do you feel what they tell you is true? Trump, 71% say yes. Friends and family, 63% say yes. Conservative media figures, 56%. That's a fair, I mean, that's a that's a not inconsiderable drop. And then religious leaders, down to 42%. Uh, I mean, th those are not insignificant differentials. And especially the conservative media figure thing, that to me is that it's only at 56%. That's not like media. That's not do you trust the news, which could be interpreted any different ways. This is specifically conservative media figures. That's really interesting. This is what I don't like about this question. Trump is a guy that they know and have a relationship with. Friends and family are a bunch of people. Pastors are a bunch of people and media figures are a bunch of people. So like, do they have in their head when they say that? Like, actually, I think I like Alex Jones, but he's full of shit. I don't like take what he says seriously. Maybe. 
Uh, My granddaughter, Madison, she went to that highfalutin university, and I don't trust her with her liberal BLM things, right? The conservative media side. Anyway, I, yeah, but Sarah's point is right. It would be, it would have been more interesting if it was like Trump, Tucker, Fox, you know, like give us a little bit more. A little more detail. detail. Yeah. Before we get to Selzer, I have a third poll I'd like to share. Do you, you guys happen to see, I moved down to Louisiana, I don't know if you knew this, um, so this, this poll caught my interest. Have you seen the Nexstar Media, it's a little local group's poll of the Louisiana Republican primary? Anybody caught that? No. Okay, I'm happy to be breaking news for you here. I'm going to go in alphabetical order. Doug Burgum, zero. Chris Christie, one. All right. Nice job. Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, 10. Nikki Haley, zero. <laughs> Mike Pence, two. Vivek Ramaswamy, one. Tim Scott, one. Donald J. Trump, 75. 75. He's winning by 65 points in the Louisiana primary. Now, I'm thinking about going down to the GOP convention. They haven't given me a media pass yet, but I want to kind of see that with my own eyes. Just one poll. I don't know. This kind of informs my my earlier comments about the stakes of the undercard. Where for Louisiana primary voters, only 25% of them have their man or woman on the stage. Um, and, and not even that, less than that, actually. 25% of them are either undecided or have their man or woman on the stage. Not great. Maybe a little better in Iowa? It's still early. Anything can happen. You know, there's a lot of time left. These early polls are meaningless. It's still early. Right? These are the, all the things we say. Okay, moving on. We do have another poll, the Iowa poll, the famous Selzer poll from the Des Moines Register, and it is out. And it is superficially, I think, pretty good for the rest of the field. Uh, we have Trump at 42, Old Puddin' Fingers at 19, Tim Scott at 9. Sarah, would you like to give us the optimistic case from the Selzer poll? Yeah, just that... Uh... Iowa is a little different from everywhere else. The voters are playing hand-to-hand combat. They meet most of these candidates. Uh, I think one of the other data points from that poll is how much uh, people were open, right? They had multiple people they were interested in, a lot of curiosity about people beyond Trump. Uh, I think that the only path is through Iowa. If somebody is able to come in close second or beat Trump in Iowa, that is literally the only little tiny path to defeating him. Like you have to do it that way. Um, and the fact that he's polling worse there than everybody else is nice. Uh, that being said, that's like me doing my best to shine it up. Cause I can do better than that. I can do a little better. All that is true. I got a little, I got one factoid for you, JVL one factoid. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Donald Trump's floor. Okay. 28. Okay. He's mm-hmm. at 42 more than any, GOP person uh, candidate has gotten in Iowa since Gerald Ford, 1976. But two-thirds said that they're sticking with him. That seems like a lot, granted, but that it's only 28. So that puts his floor ballot number at 28. DeSantis, if you count his first choice plus his second choice, I'm pretty sure that gets him up to 39. 38 39. or 39. 39. 39. So DeSantis' ceiling... I mean, that's not a ceiling, but DeSantis's, you know, realistic high water mark of 39 is better than Trump's floor of 28. True. Although, of course, it would have to include him getting a bunch of votes from people whose current first choice is Trump. Right. Because you're, you're including his second choice. And 
let let me let me explain why I think this is a deadly, deadly number for the rest of the Republican field. So while the top line numbers are pretty good for everybody else, once you dig into the actual data a little deeper, it gets very bad. First of all, Seltzer notes that this is the largest lead for any Republican in the history of her poll. No, no Republican candidate has ever been this really? far ahead. That's in there. I have missed that fact. That's not, not George W. Trump's ceiling. Trump's ceiling is the highest of any of the candidates. His his people who are who are his first and second choice, he's at 52%. People who are actively considering him are at 63%. Trump's favorability is the highest it has ever been in the history of the Iowa poll while he was running on it. He is much more popular now than he was before, which is like before Access Hollywood and stuff. Think about well, that. Self-selecting. There's a self-select element to that. Fair enough. But here is the number which which I think is is scariest for the rest of the field. They asked the 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 people, they asked Cletus what his what he was most looking forward to. And he said that the the percentage of of good and great Iowans uh, who said that they really want somebody who can beat Joe Biden was 29 percent. Percent of people who want somebody who really reflects their views, 65%. These people just want to own the libs. That's a bad there, number. There was a really good Shane Goldmacher article in the New York Times about this. Part of this reason is they think Joe Biden's riddled with dementia. So why would they, why would they care? Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, I, I look at these numbers and I just think, no way, man. Like, how are how are you guys going to beat him? He's his floor is higher than everybody else's. His ceiling is higher than everybody else's. People don't care really about winning and beating Biden or not. Uh, they like him more than they ever have before. And even within the context of this year, his numbers are going up relative to where they were. So directionally, he's getting stronger and not weaker because of the indictments. So I look at all that and yeah. I just think, well, I'm sorry, how is this supposed to happen? And, you know, the truth is we are not that far away. We're what, 20 weeks? I mean, we're, the answer is like, we're actually not that far. Here's the only way it happens. It's not an optimistic thing. It's, it's not exactly fantasy, but it's something approaching fantasy, which is there has to be like a complete and total collapse. Like something would have to happen, some kind of exogenous event. Like, I, I'm not sure... And this is where the, we come back to the debates thing. Like, you need a wholesale dynamic shift, not a chipping away slowly. Like, there's not there's not a way where like it has a lot of time to play out, and you know, slowly the retail politics of uh, Ron DeSantis is just so impressive that he's able to start gaining momentum, and that little bit of momentum builds on itself, and he slowly overtakes Trump. Like, it takes a total collapse of Trump. And it takes, I mean, this is, I had this conversation a thousand times with people. They're like, well, couldn't X, Y, Z happen to Trump? And I'm like, maybe. Who beats him? Yeah. And like, nobody really has it. You can't beat something with nothing. This is like how I start all my answers. And the question is, is like, who's giving us something? Christian Rambo's piece in The Bulwark today, uh, on Tuesday, is so good. On this point, go to the bulwark.com, ding, 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 sign up for the email list. What the point that he makes is even if what you just laid out just happened, Sarah, right? Let's say that DeSantis is awesome 
at the debate. Mm -hmm. And let's say that DeSantis takes out Chris Christie and shows, you know, the real pudding fingers, you know, uh, battle of the pudding fingers, just crushes them. And then let's say that he then uses that momentum, you know, to continue to gradually build in the polls. And he gets to Iowa and he ekes out Donald Trump by a couple points in the caucus. And then Trump wins New Hampshire and DeSantis gets endorsed by Nikki and Tim Scott and, and he ekes out Trump again in South Carolina. And then it's Super Tuesday and it's kind of split and Trump wins Louisiana where he's winning by 65 points and, and it's a delegate fight and Trump's got court dates and DeSantis picks up a little bit of momentum. What is Donald Trump going to do then exactly? Uh, uh, where, where, what's the end game here? Like, like, is the end game that Donald Trump gives a gracious speech in Milwaukee? Endured, but you know, passing the crown to Ron DeSantis, uh, like, has have anybody even thought past what the next step would be? I I don't think so. So this is this is the key point, and this is why, again, people in the Republican Party do not understand that they're the hostages. I don't think, as as Christian writes, it isn't enough to beat Trump. Whoever the Republican victor would be has to beat Trump and get Trump to concede. Because without Trump conceding, then the, the party is lost, right? It, you know, everything falls apart because maybe Trump goes kamikaze or something else. Meanwhile, from Trump's perspective, he knows that no matter how much they hate him, all the rest of these MFers are going to absolutely concede and wind up endorsing him, right? With honorable exceptions of Asa Hutchinson and... Uh, and maybe Chris Christie, and maybe even Will Hurd, depending on the day of the week. And so this that asymmetry where, you know, he doesn't give a crap about the future of the party and the health of the party, and he knows that they will all come on side with him. As, as Tim and Christian say, like, what's the end? How, how are you supposed to not only beat Trump, but get Trump to concede to you? Yeah. And I just don't see that as possible. Agree or disagree? I guess this is a real question. Do you do you think that Christian is right that the concession is a necessary condition for beating Trump and having it be a real victory? No, I think it is true that Trump will not concede. Uh, but I think that, you know, it will proceed the way that that the general election proceeded with Trump disputing the outcome, right? Like the normal process will go ahead, but you will live with Donald Trump running a shadow, like he will either run as a third party or he will spend all his time torching DeSantis and he would cripple any of them as a general election candidate. Yeah. But there's no mechanism by which he takes a nomination that he has lost. Then the optimistic case, right, is that like he cut some deal with them where they promised to pardon him and all that, but then they're carrying Trump's baggage and there's just no clean way out of the, out of the deal. Yeah. Anyway, that's my positive positive spin. Like 63 is, I, I would have thought it would have been higher than 63, I guess. We will close out with something really depressing. But before we get to that, we haven't talked about uh, Trump's counter-programming for Wednesday night. He is sitting down with Tucker. I guess they've already taped it. Unclear where this will air, whether it will be on Twitter or Truth Social or 4chan. I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts about this? I'm interested in seeing... Like the, the real polling is going to be the numbers between what the undercard debate polls and Tucker's Twitter. Like if if more people are watching Trump than a network broadcast or even if it's like close, that will be a big win for him. It's also a little bit of a risk. Like it's a little bit of a risk that because Tucker's stuff hasn't been doing particularly well. 
And so if Trump can't counter program effectively, I'm not sure that that like damages him so much, but it could be a storyline. Were you guys surprised at this? Because I it's think a it's a energy. little low end. Yeah, I, I felt the same thing. Why would he do? Why not just hold his own rally and have all the other cable nets? Yeah. Come and cover it. I would have done a rally in rural Wisconsin and just had like a massive crowd at a high school football field in rural Wisconsin and been like, this is where the action is. They're all they're all boring down in Milwaukee or something. I don't know. It feels low energy. He's also got a lot on his plate, you know, and he has his he has to surrender again. You know, he's got several he's got a lot of meetings with lawyers. Uh, He's got several court dates ahead of him. So maybe logistically might have created some challenges. You know, getting down to Atlanta. Yeah, but also the pre-taped nature, right? I mean, every everything about this feels a little weak to me. And again, if we if you want to be optimistic, it feels a little tired and a little like a guy who isn't who isn't able to move in for the kill here when he could really put everybody away. Yeah, and is he going to be since it's taped? The other thing about it being taped is he going to be live bleeding. During or is he going to be watching himself? You know what I mean. Like that also is a weird situation. It's going to be, I think, hard yeah. for him to to not to resist live bleeding. Then he would betray that he's watching the debate rather than himself. I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, I, I, he could have done. He could have done a better job. So yeah, maybe that's the bull case that he's he's losing his energy. I want to add to this that he does. He is so far ahead, right? Which gives him some certain advantages. But he's starting to play not to lose a little bit. Right. Uh, And that may work for him. And this is what I mean by like a wholesale shift. Like, I think he's a little scared. I saw that you saw this the one time in Iowa where he was going to hold a rally and he pulled out because of the weather and the weather ended up not being that bad. Where like you do get the sense he's a little worried and not enough people that not enough people will show up for him to have it be the show of force. And so that he wants it to be optically. And as a result, he runs a little bit of the Joe Biden from his basement thing, which is like, I will tweet on Truth Social and stuff. He's also going to get get weighed in Georgia. And so, you know, we might find out that he's extremely obese and it might be hard for him to, like, get around. Uh, you know, it, it does seem like he's spending a lot of time just mostly <laughs> golfing. And <laughs> yeah, that's another thing to consider. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, moving on. Well, this is boy. This is a great way to close the show. We had a horrible hate crime over the weekend, where uh, we had a guy who marched up to a store in California, uh, got very angry, started yelling some stuff about how much he hated the gays, ripped down a gay pride flag, and then went inside and shot the woman who is a owned the store and is the mother of nine. Um, I don't know what to say, man. Uh, it's really, really bad, and the weirdness of of the right to try to make it about something else is weird. Tim, do you want to just talk about this a little bit? Yeah, I just felt like it was important to talk about. I mean, uh, this woman, Lori Carlton, God love her, um, seems like she was a, um, I mean, obviously like a mother of nine. I, I just, the, the tributes to her that have come in have been very moving. I've, I've spent some time reading them. And, um, you know, I, I sent out a tweet Azit, whatever we're calling it, uh, the other day, it's just like, here's the link to her store, Magpie. There's a store that she had a, a pride flag out front of in California. And, you know, I, I didn't see a GoFundMe. So I was like, if you want to support her, maybe buy, buy a wallet or something from the store, buy a shirt. And um, 
I received many replies from people that are like, this is the MSM narrative. Uh, it was actually her brother that killed her. It was a, it was an interpersonal dispute. Like we're back to the Paul Pelosi thing. You know, it was, you know, the, yeah. in that case, it was the lover, you know, like this wasn't a hate crime. This wasn't about politics. This wasn't domestic terrorism. And so I was like, I, you know, who knows, right? Like I wasn't there. So I, I was like, okay, I, I just read one story. I was like, let me read the stories closer. And I, you know, I went and read the stories. It's like, no, there, there are witnesses. They saw the guy come up. They saw him make homophobic remarks, uh, scream and at he's her. Dead, by the way, there's an important piece of context. He's now dead because he got to a shootout with the police. Yeah. Pulled, they saw him yeah. pull the flag down. Uh, they saw him shoot her. And so like, they knew what happened. We saw what happened. And, and then, you know, obviously now we, the, the police finally released his name earlier on Tuesday. And, and you go to his feed and it's like the gay, the gay pride flag on fire. A lot of retweets of Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, he's a Gab account. He loves Matt Walsh, the transphobic Daily Wire person. And so it's like it's not subtle. It's happening. It's not hard to figure out. You know, we don't need our best detectives on the case here to know what happened. And yet there is just this pathological need to like not accept that as true, right, among people on, on the right so they can continue to advance the hateful culture war shit. And so, you know, I, we don't need to go around and around. We've done this show after Colorado Springs and after, you know, these all these other ones. But, like, we are at a very hot time right now. Like, the rhetoric is very hot, and, and we are an extremely well-armed nation. And, like... Th- this shit is going to keep happening if if neither of those two underlying problems are resolved and, and and nobody on the right seems interested in addressing either of them. And that is why you get into these situations where, you know, you have this, you have this conspiracy theory that props up or people don't talk about it, right? Like you hear nothing or, or you hear a conspiracy theory. So anyway, I wrote an article debunking it. The other weird thing about it is that the conspiracy theory emanated from this, website that like when you read it it's like this doesn't read like an english speaker it doesn't really read like ai but 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 it also it's kind of a strange thing just that they like where would have been made up from right so so it also is dystopian in the sense of how how do you untangle all that right like was this an ai account is this a nefarious actor is this just an idiot with a you know a a, a, teenager in macedonia looking for right yeah Clicks. Yeah. Anyway, it's all it's all terrible and people should just be better to each other, I guess. I mean, that's I don't have anything else to say about it, uh, except that it does strike me that things could get a lot worse before they get better. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is just on the responsibility of politicians. It used to be that politicians had a sense of being there to tamp down the, you know, the crazy and their supporters, right? They didn't want their people flying off the handle. They get lots of mail. They know they got a lot of people who are uh, not right. And it just, there used to be this just sense of decency of like, it is my responsibility as the person with the megaphone to make sure that I'm constantly counseling forbearance or just, you know, lowering the temperature. And these guys have no interest in lowering the temperature. Everything they do is an attempt to raise the temperature which I think is flagrantly irresponsible and really does just speak to the depths of we're dealing with a new breed of politician who does not care 
about the temperature. And I think on the, on the on the gay stuff, this is obviously on trans. There are specific issues that that are you know being fought about and litigated and argued about. But I, I you do now see this pivot uh, in in right wing spaces, like where it isn't really about policy. Actually, it is about it is about the whole nature of being prideful and and being so open about this, and that is wrong, and that our culture needs to reverse. To more to more of a trad culture, right? And it's not like oh, I have a specific list of policy proposals, but it's like it is speaking about how you know the cultural acceptance and and promotion and and pridefulness around gay gay and trans rights issues is the problem in itself. And when that happens, right? I just think that is is uniquely more dangerous to the to the listener, right? Because if you're if you're a person that can go off the handle, you're like, I can resolve this actually in my community by giving people that are that are being too prideful to what for, right? If the if the if the issue is in the policy space, you know, you feel like, okay, well, maybe I'll just support my candidate and hopefully we'll, you know, whatever, reform gay marriage laws or whatever. But um, but like that, this is that's another thing that is that is a difference and and that is increase, getting increasingly hot in conservative media world. A reminder, this is an off year. We're not even at a, the actual fever pitch of an election. Great. Great. I'm sure it's all going to be fine. All right. Good show. Long show. An interminable show. A uh, special thank you to Sebastian for saving this show uh, because we had technical problems throughout. Sarah, it was good to see you. Tim, it was good to see you. Enjoy the debate, everybody. I will be doing live react without either of you tonight. I will be live uh, on the YouTube machine. And then I will be doing another Thursday night bulwark on Thursday night after this. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing all of the things. I believe I have me and Tom Nichols Wednesday night at 11 p.m. So, uh, guys, take care. Be nice to each other out there. Bye. Bye.